podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. I am Matt. I am Andy. We are back, everybody, and better than ever, just like Star Trek The Next Generation. I, uh, I'm excited yeah. about this season. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell me a little bit more about why you're excited, Andy. Well, I feel like it's been a lot of... Uh, Let lot me just uh, get us on the ship here. Uh, what are we in ah, here before, we <laughs> before we hear that ambience? We're just in, in, a, in a queue-like abyss? Uh, we're in a sound deprivation chamber. Oh, I see. Inside of our quarters. Okay. Do you hear the hum we're like the when Joe, you're in the holodeck? We're like the Joe Rogans of space. Is that a news radio reference? No, he likes a he likes a sensory deprivation chamber. Oh, I didn't know that. Guy he's, is uh, he's an interesting, very individual. fit. That Joe Rogan. I hear sensory deprivation chambers are amazing. Uh, I don't know that I could handle one. Hey, I wanted to ask. Hey, Dory. Matt says that because Bo, their delightful dog, he comes in, and when I come in, he barks for a second, and then he identifies me, and then he couldn't be more delightful and licking me and, and happy. And Matt says he doesn't like anyone else. Is that by and large true? Yeah, except for his dog walker. Except for his dog walker, and I can't top the dog walker. That's a lot of time, man. All right, thank you. <laughs> and he's just looking for myself. daily affirmations. <laughs> That's right. Andy, you're basically the only person who regularly comes to the house. It's a way to undercut it, Dory. <laughs> you know what? I well, think no. he senses my delightful energy. You regularly are can come to the house because he doesn't eat you. Yeah, that's what oh, I mean. I'm the only person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what okay. I mean. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No like literally like i have to like get like she's gonna record a podcast in a couple of weeks and i have to like take Bo away for two hours yeah. we're gonna go for like a long walk he or something didn't he ever tell you what happened when he tried he tried to, to eat Gorley. yeah he tried to eat <gasps> he tried to eat the nicest person ever yep he could sense i have a kinship with animals <laughs> wow that's amazing yeah uh so that's what's happening over here at the myra shafrir i finally Bo was better than household. Gorley at something uh, well, Andy, I'm very really sense. He's he's too much of a hardcore cat. I mean, I'm a cat person too, but uh, I, you know, I, I I love dogs. I love cats. Bo probably senses all the cat in that guy. Look, Andy, I have a problem here. I told you the wrong date for the air of this episode. Oh no! Did I tell you October second, nineteen eighty nine? Let's look. Because I lied. <laughs> yes. It was actually September 25th, 1989. All right. I'm going to need a second to figure out this day in TriCaster. Well, I'll just figure it out. What, September, what, what day? September 25th. 25th. 1989. All right. We'll figure it out when we get to it. All right. Um, Matthew Kirk, who usually, I don't think he, let me just double check that he didn't get us one, uh, who's usually nice enough to uh, to do our This Day in Trek history for us. Um he oh no he has it oh great awesome well there you go Matthew Kirk on top of the game uh well Andy I suppose it's time to open the hails 
open well, right first, is that what happens what's the first thing that really, happens we should refer to but you Arrington's won't give list. me this list it's on twitter <laughs> anyone can access it i have to find it i actually don't know if it's accurate anymore it's been a while but whatever the case the first thing we should we got to do is you should say should they watch this episode evolution yeah it's the first episode of season three okay why well, aren't you watching it it's a it's the the choice buckle up everybody <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of times this year where i'm going to be saying don't watch it all right then you know what let's take a peek in the admirals club matt how do they get into the admirals club well andy to get in the admirals club it's perhaps the most simple of simple all you have to do is leave a five-star review in itunes and quite frankly you are welcome into the admirals club our first admirals club entry is uh from admiral travis who says i'm an american living in taiwan sometimes i get homesick matt and andy give me a nice little taste of home most of my uh friends and family are overly critical of things they love too (laughs) um watching enterprise for the first time now and tried another podcast so i could have fun picking the show apart sadly the music and voices of the host put me to sleep no no got a feeling they never say we which someone else (laughs) asked hey you don't say haven't said that in a while which that's matt's um and then he ends with keep up the adequate work travis um and uh, our other one i'm gonna keep it to two matt because i know how you feel this is like a birthday present to me and my birthday is not till august um is from steven and transfer the name gosh darn it oh steven you know who you are no he made a big steven herman steve steph herman um, who says, after hours and hours of warm feelings, hearty laughter, wise thoughts, incisive critique, lessons on the craft of writing, deep dives into behind the scenes, character analysis, and Andy's there too. Well, I have to rate this at five stars. It's literally the least I can do. You know what? Thank you for the doing the least you can do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what we do frequently. And that was the Admiral's Club. Oh. We can't do anything right. I did it wrong. That's part of the joy of this podcast. I did it wrong. <laughs> we didn't talk about the United Federation of Planet Circle. And today... That's what we do second. You did it right. But I don't have a cue for that. That should be inside the Admirals Club, shouldn't we it? We discussed this yesterday. I did it right. We just did it right. Yesterday? You just played the sound cube. We can play it again. Let's just pretend that after we leave the Admirals Club through the other door, oh, right. it also plays oh, right. that You were that saying jingle. that there is a... You go through the Admirals Club <laughs> to, to get, get to, to the, the President United, Circle. United Federation of Planets President Circle. That's if you give us a, a donation. Um, we may change the rules if there's a Patreon put in, which we honestly, we don't know what the result of the Patreon vote is because uh, by now... Well, I guess theoretically we might be waiting for 100 people to, to say Patreon yes. Oh, no. They had one week to do it. Oh, they had one week. So yeah. you're counting it out. So we don't know because we're doing we're recording this one right after our bonus podcast. Somebody we has to go to New York. Look, I got to get away. Get back to my, my home territory. Technically, New both, York City. both of us are going to New York, but separately. It is Separate weird. days. We're like missing each other by a day. Yeah, which is a shame because we both like to go to Katz's. We both like to eat pizza. Stuff our the, faces. That's really the end of the story there 
Anyway, Kevin Lamb sent us $20.18. Kevin Lamb has often sent us uh, $20.18. says, welcome back. You've been missed. I do enjoy that Andy made it uh, less than 10 minutes into the podcast before Oops, I did it again. Needed to be played. Keep up the good work, Kevin Lamb. Uh, he sends us that money every time we do this. <laughs> no. Um, no. The, sorry. The next one. Get, hang on your hat. Next one is from Frederick Roy, uh, a, a hero among men, who sent us $170.14. Oh, come now. One four? Oh, I, I don't know. That's one four. Frederick that is true. Yeah, do you know him? He's an excellent supporter. Excellent crossover. Good for you, Frederick. This This guy keeps us swimming in quarter-inch jacks. Only, uh, that's right, we're having a lot of problems, sound problems, so we need those quarter-inch jacks. We're not having a lot of sound problems. They've happened. (laughs) They've happened. Um, There's money if it goes to TNC. Only half of it will go to Matt and Dory's uh, attempts to get a child, though. The other half will go to me and my empty life. Um, Frederick says, Hello, Andy and Matt. I'm sending this to you to hopefully make it slightly more palatable to choke down the only ever clip show in TNG history. I think <laughs> I think he was bribing us to come back. And, buddy, you did it. A few remarks, if I may. Digressions are great. Andy, I hope you never quite master the soundboard. No worry, pal. That air horn sound, as well as the pop song parodies, uh, when used judiciously, uh, are incredibly funny. Please comment on as much TNG-related material as you can. Thank you for this podcast. Have a fantastic holiday break. Oh, wow. This was a long time ago. Dory is really doing some stuff in that mess hall. Is that coming through? I can't hear it. No, I, can't, I don't know. I'm just letting people know it. what's happening. This reminds me of the time that I was recording a James Bonding podcast in a hotel room that was very small, and my wife decided to take a shower and then blow dry her hair without fully closing the door. Podcasting professional. Dory Shafrir <laughs> with a podcast much more successful than this one sure and more successful in Excellent Adventure they found an untapped market we found the chooses, most tapped market of all time <laughs> chooses to uh, let's just say uh, not quietly make things in the kitchen hi honey you are recording in my home yes and it's time for me to make dinner. It's 9.34 oh, this was, p.m. This was another question I wanted to ask you, Dory. Uh, when you came home, mm. I felt, as I've only felt uh, like once before when I went over and, uh, and tried D&D as an adult, and, and my, gig, my Dungeon Master friend, he, his wife came home and found us, and I felt like that doing this podcast. Is that the way it feels from your side? Or because you're a podcaster, Wait. it doesn't... Like, like I caught you doing something like boyish and boyish. dumb and oh no, I think I think that's just your own insecurity. Fair enough. Well, at least Bo likes me. You know, a lot of Andy's own insecurities are showing in his questions to Dory Shafrir. I just want Dory's respect and approval. Well, respect is earned. Approval. Given. Given. <laughs> it's nothing. Uh, <laughs> the end of Frederick Roy's uh, thing. He's from Nova Scotia, interestingly. Oh, P.S. I thought he was from Nova Squad. Uh, is that a joke? Yeah. I don't understand. Don't worry about it. As you no doubt realize, the amount sent is not random. Uh, and it's 1701 makes sense. 17014 is interesting. Do you want to look it up? I'll look it up. 
Uh, well, no, A, B, C, D. It's got to be Enterprise it's D. D. I see. 1701D. So he's just doing four for D. Yeah, he's doing an numer- alphanumerical code that we've cracked. All right. Thanks, Frederick. Frederick. <laughs> Frederick, uh, you're Frederick's quite a generous and wonderful individual. Supporter of uh, all my endeavors. At the end of the United Federation of Planets Club. <laughs> okay, if someone wants to make a jingle for that for Andy so he doesn't have to ever sing that again, You've just please left do. the secret room beyond the or, Club. Or make him make up a new one every week, which is actually somehow more enjoyable. All right. Captain, we are being hailed. Let's open up the hail bag. <laughs> there would not be a hail bag. It'd be all digital to the uh, future. I don't, by the way, hate the idea of the hail bag. <laughs> That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> the hail Maddie. And everyone should remember, Andy came up with the name, the next conversation. So the guy has a gift and he's using it for nerdery. Somebody tried to compliment Matt on it. And uh, Matt was very nice in giving me the credit on on the title. I always give you the credit. I give credit where credit is due. Yeah. I don't run my life like it's a writer's room. You tear me down occasionally, frequently. Well, when it's most of the when time, it's, when it's appropriate. Um, all right, we have a voicemail VM that was in reference to our debate about in a, in a far previous episode because it was a clip show about uh, Riker making eggs <laughs> and uh, whether. Riker, and I think there was some there was some confusion. I will say this guy from other a people. Point. I think there was some confusion. A lot of people piped in because they all said it was bad eggs, and I wasn't debating that it was bad eggs. That the, that the ingredients themselves were bad. I was saying I didn't think Riker understood that the ingredients were bad when he said the thing about uh, you know it's the the chef. It's only as good as the ingredients. I think that he thought they were good. He didn't realize that they were bad. Anyway, wait. I think there's What are you realizing? It doesn't matter. Wait, you're saying what are you saying? I'm saying that the scene is written so that Riker is not aware of how unhappy everyone is with his eggs. Oh, I 500% disagree with that. You can only be 100% disagreement with that. I was trying to be 100% for each writer involved in that script. <laughs> Well, whatever the case, it wasn't it wasn't well played that scene. But here's an interesting uh, voicemail from a chef. Guys, this is Chef Ben from Chicago. First off, love the show. Don't love the clip show. Nobody asked me. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Riker making omelets. First off, he's not making omelets. Right. That man is scrambling Scrambled eggs. Pulaski is it just as mistaken about that as she is about most things. So no Ooh, surprises there. Snap. Secondly, yes, he is blaming his ingredients, and yes, it is kind of a bullshit move. However, let me say this. If you're accustomed to a chicken egg, I can't even speak to what an alien poultry egg is going to taste like. That's true. So the idea that the flavor there is way stronger plays right into uh, the Klingon structure of food. So that I totally buy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Keep in mind, like I went to an Asian market at one point, and I bought duck eggs, and I went home and I scrambled them. I was not prepared for just the sheer volume of flavor that was there. It wasn't volume bad. Flavor. It was just a lot. Volume so of flavor. That's a great name for a dish. I can see somebody like Worf getting down on that and everybody else being sort of taken aback by how much flavor there is. It doesn't even have to be a bad flavor. Now, 
Riker's blaming his ingredients, which, again, is kind of a bullshit move because he should have known better. The cardinal rule in cooking is never make something for the first time for guests. So, so there you go. Hmm. Keep it up, fellas. I uh, really enjoy the show, and uh, thanks a lot. Um, I'm interested in the Chef Ben. I'm, you know, both of us being uh, foodies, uh, I would love to know where he works, what his uh, what his deal is. Maybe he can uh, he can get a Star Trek themed meal on the menu. Has there ever been a meal that looked good in Star Trek? Mm, no, I guess they're all <laughs> usually said to be. I mean, do you want like a coffee cup with a triple in it? Because I did that on After Trek. I saw that. Yeah. Um. And then I have a long email about transporters. Okay. Can you endure it? I don't know. Hey, I'm sure you'll get a million, maybe a few dozen emails on this. Uh, Here's my problem with the transporters. Yes. Ignoring real-world science issues like the uncertainty principle or the unbelievable amount of data. Data? Data. It would take to store the quantum states of every particle in your body or how you would be able to filter out certain molecules, viruses, at a macro level. The data thing, I would, by the way, just throw out immediately because the data thing is, uh, is like, I think we can forward assume that in the future they'll, you know, data won't be an issue at the rate. Yeah, sure. An isolinear chip here and there. You yeah. can store a lot of data on that. Beaming to from a remote location makes no sense. Per the technical manual, there are emitters to send the beam out, but there's nothing to reconstitute it at the other end. The molecules would just slam into the planet or whatever it is. And how do you uh, beam through the walls of another ship station? The beam would just hit the outside. When you beam back to the ship, what's sending the beam? Do emitters become a very targeted space vacuum cleaner to suck the beam back aboard? Also, mm-hmm. in contrast to my previous point, it would have to be a transfer of matter. Otherwise, at the other end, you'd be creating matter from nothing and destroying matter at the source, which would give you a phenomenal amount of energy input-output. Plugging at a 100-kilogram person into E equals MC squared gives a 9 by 10 to the 18th power joules, mm-hmm. which I looked up the pronunciation. And uh, even though the Internet says it's pronounced joules... It's specified in a uh, in a very literate uh, source that it's jowls, anyway, which is roughly the amount of power generated on the entire Earth in about a week, or about 2,500 H-bombs. Either way, it doesn't work. For, the logic, for it to be logical-ish, I think you'd have to always have to beam between transporter pads and have it uh, as the sending-slash-receipt of a signal only with a store of mass either end like a replicator to reconstitute you of course the implication of this is that you could be sending uh you could send a beaming signal and not destroy the original thus cloning yourself whenever you want and that you definitely die when you're transported you'd always be a clone merrick he also says p.s don't get me started on beaming to a vessel that's at warp and light years away is an abrams movie how would that work oh and he also says oh the warp the fucking warp trans the crazy transport that uh, scotty invents yeah. In the in the Kelvin verse, yeah, it's crazy. This is PPS. I have a big problem with shapeshifters who change their mass, like Odo. Uh, the energy involved in creating or destroying mass on the scale would always be enormous. Hmm. <laughs> no take from Matt. Hmm. And here's my last voicemail, hmm. or our last voicemail. I didn't mean to be territorial about no, it. No, I think they all go to you. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Um, as they, as the people on uh, on at our email, which is sttncpod at gmail dot com, if you would like to email us, have started to openly um, 
just address it to Andy because they know I'm the only one reading them. Anyway, here's the voicemail. Hey, Matt. Hey, Andrew. This is the guy that was leaving you all the funky messages for a few weeks before the new podcast came out today. <laughs> Love it. I just wanted to say that your show is absolutely amazing, and it uh, certainly gets me through the day once in a while when I listen to it. You guys do a great job. It's funny as hell, and uh, I, I appreciate it. You guys are doing everybody a great service bringing back this old show that uh, has such great memories for us 80s kids. So keep up the good work. It was nice to listen to the new episode. And uh, thanks for putting me on the air. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yes, but you're a wonderful idiot who played sound effects into it. I appreciated the high. I, re- I appreciate high production value, FYI, in a, in a, in a, in a voicemail or in a hail. 100%. So, so appreciative. 100%. I sometimes also get surprised by uh, sound cues. Um, that is it for the hail bag we're closing up the hail bag I again don't hate it <laughs> um, and it's time for this day in Trek history TDIC uh, um, oh wait now, I ha- now we have to figure out what the new song is um, it was Janet it's probably Janet Jackson again let's see if it and by is. again I mean for the first time uh, no it is not oh who is it it is Girl I'm Gonna Miss You by Millie Vanilli oh well guys this is the second Millie Vanilli song we've played on this program is it really yeah, yeah. that does seem which is like weird uh, because um, I didn't think of their careers lasting that long I guess they didn't get outed as being frauds for a bit this is weird to me anyway so the number one song was this girl i'm gonna miss you i'm Millie vanilla uh in the uk ride on time by black box was on top the good times by russell baker was a bestseller and black rain led at the box office i remember that um southeastern u.s and you and Carib- caribbean region were both recovering from the devastation of hurricane hugo uh the lebanese civil war was temporarily halted by a ceasefire um, Vietnam drew uh, withdrew the last of its troops from Cambodia, effectively ending the 11-year occupation of the Cambodian state. And Time Magazine's cover featured an upturned dinghy labeled Atlantic City and the erstwhile Trump Plaza building in the background with the caption, Boardwalk of Broken Dreams. Trump Plaza is currently scheduled for demolition. Wow, it's been it's hang on so atlantic city has been failing for over two decades it's insane three decades i guess yeah that's crazy was atlantic city ever good i guess i've never been empire have you been i have it was dirty when i was there boardwalk empire i haven't been there in a while starring eric weiner that's right our our co-worker eric weiner my writing partner that's right he was Uh, i don't want to spoil anything but he has dramatic the point is he's in it a lot and then he's not in it anymore anyway <laughs> I'm just like trying to figure out how their voices match their faces and quite frankly I still buy it anyway guys this is it this is season 3 of Star Trek The Next Generation a little bit of house cleaning to get out of the way first I wanted to talk about these uniforms Andy do you yeah. think I should talk about the episode then jump into it and then we'll discuss the uniforms what do you want me to do uh no get in the uniforms now all right so i talked to john cooley 
as I teased in the mini-sode that you all were forced to listen to because we forgot how to do this podcast. They loved it. Uh, and uh, here we go. Are you ready? This is, quite frankly, so wonderfully lengthy. Okay. Uniforms, as we all know, change from season two to season three, and they pretty much stay like this for the rest of the series run. Oh, they do. Yeah. Uh, and here is John. Background. Here we go. <laughs> so you know that season one and two spacesuits, as the cast called them, were highly uncomfortable. They were two-way stretch jumbo weight spandex that was sewn so that they would stretch horizontally, not vertically. This led the, the cast to be really uncomfortable. The male cast members particularly hated uh, hated them, and they also led to back problems because they were so form-fitted oh, and couldn't, they could not stretch upwards. So the shoulders pulled down on them all the time. They were wearing uniforms that gave them back problems for like 12 to 14 hour production days? That's insane. Sir Patrick particularly hated them and it was with these uniforms that the Picard maneuver was really born because those suits would pull down on the actors uncomfortably. Something had to be done. Enter costume designer uh, Dorinda Rice Wood and Bob Blackman. Dorinda had been the season two costume designer and started some preliminary sketching for a new two-piece uniform to keep the male cast of TNG from walking off the set. Uh, Work that she eventually left to the newly hired, on her recommendation, TNG season three costume designer Robert Blackman. Blackman came on, uh, and over the course of the third season, you can watch the uniforms evolve into their final TNG series form. And it's funny... This is John. It's funny. You can see absolutely the cast's true position on the show by who gets each revision first. <laughs> Meaning, as the uniforms change, yeah, you'll see Captain Picard gets it in one episode, and then it'll be Captain Picard and and. Oh, I hadn't noticed. Everybody doesn't have it in this first episode. Uh, this first episode, they have this new version, which has seams on the front. Oh, I see. Uh, so actually, this all stemmed from me asking him about the scenes. The seams that are visible on the front, which go away. Right. Uh, the first season three uniforms changed by removing the ornate shoulder piping of the original uniforms and replacing it with the elegant mandarin collar. Uh, it also removed the front zipper and ran instead up the back. And, of course, the first new jackets added sharp new seams running vertically up both sides of the chest. A look taking, taken from arcane military dress uniforms. They'll disappear gradually over the course of the first few episodes. These new uniforms were designed to mimic the look of a, of a new jumpsuit while actually being two pieces. This was accomplished by having a very smooth transition line between the jacket and the pants. They'll eventually disappear as the tunics uh, took on a blousier, cropped Eisenhower jacket look and a thicker waistband that we're all familiar with. I replied to him, I love this. Then he replied minutes later with, sorry, phone died. Uh, it's the higher waisted thicker waistband on the season three tunics that led to an expanded use of the male cast picard maneuver the new male uniform consists of a bib fronted overall style pant which of course took care of everyone's waist and uh and it's very very high again like overalls and the ike jacket now the problem with an ike jacket is that this particular design runs uh, the tight waistband across the wearer's natural waistline directly across the belly button or navel. Most modern people are not accustomed to having a tight uh, band of elastic stretching right across their gut. Also, due to the form-fitting nature of the jacket, it has a tendency to ride up, so you end up tugging it down all the time. I can't believe I take crap about long hails and you're 
This is uh, this is my like a, this is my wheelhouse. A ten minute. I love this uniform stuff. <laughs> I mean, I love this. This John this loves a, John John's lo- emails have always been incredibly informative. Uh, useful, John but. John uh, editorializes now. I love the third season uniform. One of my all-time favorites but i do have a structural problem with them now john of course works for anovos which make the best uh, replica uniforms on the planet uh-huh. and uh, he spends his life trying to get them right uh-huh. so this is why he's the best person to ask for this question okay uh so he has the structural here's the structural problem he has with this bill Thies was a genius and a madman he was the T- tos designer and the tng season one designer Okay. And was amazing at hiding closures in clothing, or at least making them fictionally believable. Season three uniforms boldly say, "Let's run a zipper straight up the back, where you would have guessed, <laughs> where you would have to have help getting dressed." I get it; makes sense from a production standpoint. It's easier for dressers and hair and makeup. But what about the cast, of the crew of the Enterprise D? Does Wesley have to run around and help all the officers into their uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> he says, "I picture Wesley standing just uh, in the entryway of Picard's quarters until it's time to zip up." And then he says, I hope that helps. So from the back, do we see the zipper? You can. When they turn around, you see the like the seam. Oh, interesting. Of the zipper. So the Picard maneuver, as is being referred to there, is when he pulls Yeah, that's the the Picard maneuver. And that's because he was in pain the entire time. Yeah, and also now when the uniform switched, it's because they would ride up. Right. So, guys, it's season three. I love the uniform talk. It's time for the episode Evolution, which aired... Uh, September 25th. It started at 43512. Uh, sorry, 43125.8. Here's the deal with this one. This is teleplay by Michael Piller. Story by Michael Piller and Michael Wagner. Michael Piller, for those of you who don't know him, who are just following along with Star Trek, along with Andy, Michael Piller is one of the greatest Star Trek writers of all time. He is responsible for many amazing storylines. He is also responsible for Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2. Uh, really? He is uh, and was a, a wonderful, by all accounts, a wonderful man. And uh, gone too soon, Michael Piller. Uh, you are missed from the Star Trek franchise. And uh, as Andy will come to find, uh, you did some fucking amazing work. Now... Let's talk about it. Here's the plot. What starts out as a science project and genetics for Wes almost dooms not only scientist Paul Stubbs' lifelong project, but the ship itself. Stubbs has to come on board with a specially designed probe set to be launched to study a once-in-a-lifetime stellar explosion of a neutron supergiant binary. The project is threatened, though, by malfunctions of the Enterprise main computer core. The reasons for the malfunctions? Wesley's science project, in which he allowed two medical microbiotic nanites to interact. The creatures bred and escaped into the ship's computer core, which they are now eating. Attempts to placate or talk to the nanites are thwarted when an obsessed, impatient stub sterilizes a core element of nanites with a gamma radiation blast. But the nanites' deadly response. Uh, They shut down the ship's life support. Uh, systems. This convinces even Stubbs that they are intelligent, and he apologizes to them after Data volunteers himself as a face-to-face communication conduit. Satisfied with the goodwill shown them, the higher-order nanites want only to keep exploring and ask for an uninhabited world to colonize. They even help reconstruct the ship's computer in time to make Stubbs' uh, project a success. The script, this is more from Larry Nemechek's Next Gen Revised Edition. The script that brought Michael Piller into the TNG fold was designed as a growth show for Wesley. 
And on his own initiative, Pillar added the plot points about Beverly Crusher's reappearance. He decided to do that. They were just going to have her come in and not mention the fact that she's been gone. Oh, that's crazy town. Uh, he added the plot points of Beverly Crusher's reappearance when it became clear the episode would actually lead off the season. Uh, that leads me to believe that they thought th- these were like standalones and nobody was following along at all. Like that there was like uh, the, uh, the opposite of serialization. Along comes Pillar. Good for that guy. Uh, the nanites through data confront uh, Stubbs. Uh, that's what the picture is. Sorry. One scene cut for time's sake included a corridor conversation between Wesley and his friends, pointing out how immersed in work and cut off from social life he'd become. Uh, Pillar delved into his own love of baseball to round out the similarities between Wesley and Stubbs, uh, whom he envisioned as a forecast of a hard-driven, often friendless youngster at age 40. Uh, the players Stubbs refer to uh, brought about the climax of the classic 1951 National League playoff when Bobby Thompson of the New York Giants broke open the tie game with a homer off Brooklyn Dodger pitcher Ralph Bronca. So that's all Pillar. Pillar is also why Cisco loves baseball. Oh, interesting. I was thinking that that was very, it was all very Myra-esque. The uh, all, all the baseball stuff, and I uh, figured you were enjoying it. All right, so Andy, yeah, are you excited? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what you thought of this uh, episode, but I suppose we'll have to find that out slowly but surely by watching. I will say, I wonder, do we have a contact who can talk to us about the effects progression? Because um, I feel like right off the top, the effects seem sharper and you're more impressive. Wa- it looks like they poured watching, more money into it. You're watching it. the Blu-ray edits, though, where the effects have been recomposed. I feel like we've talked about this before, and I feel like they said that it's they've been cleaned re- up, but the effects re- themselves are the same. They're recomposited, though. Uh-huh. So, you know, watching it at home on, on video or watching the original cut, it was not going to look this clean. That's what well, you have to realize. Well, whatever the case, even the, the the progression from the second season to the third season, I thought was... Disagree. ILM did the effects in the first season. I think those were the best. Come at me, everybody. I don't know. Well, from the second season, I can't. I don't remember in the first season. There was definitely some good stuff in the first season. Uh, so this episode starts with uh, Wesley being late for his job, Andy. He's asleep. How do you feel about that? I don't know. The, I enjoyed the Wesley character stuff. I feel like overall they they sort of shifted into the Beverly plot, which I guess we'll get to. And I was more interested in the Wesley plot of him kind of trying to be a professional and do these studies and feeling this pressure to get into Starfleet. You don't feel that that was fully um, addressed? Uh, it, it just doesn't go anywhere. Other than he puts the entire ship in danger. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm very sorry. I'll be right there. Captain's log, stardate 43125.8. We have entered a spectacular binary star system in the Cavis Alpha sector uh, on a most critical mission of astrophysical so research. Everybody looks like everybody. Guest, Dr. Paul Stubbs <laughs> will attempt to study the decay of neutronium 
expelled at relativistic speeds from a massive stellar explosion. I love the long yet, point that Riker gives Wesley as he heads to his seat. <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> Approaching He's like, there he is. That's where you're supposed to be, buddy. Flow to one-third impulse power. They definitely are also softening up the Riker character immediately. Like, I would say, see, definitely season one and probably even season two, Riker would have been like, you're supposed to be there, Ensign. You're supposed to be at your post, Ensign. I think maybe he really softened after his near-death experience in Sick Bay. <laughs> That's an interesting tie. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. really, they think, look at Shades of Grey as the character turning point I, for I, Riker. I think that's really when Riker became... Will Riker, you uh, know, yeah, after sure. that, after having to experience all those emotions so again and again and again and again yeah. and again and again, yeah, love a good clip show, don't you? No, me either. Like clockwork. What do you think of Ken Jennings in this? And it is, but uh, I enjoyed away. him. I'm trying to think outside of Scrubs, which I didn't really wasn't really my seven. thing. I'm tr- I, I have a a synapse memory of him from something and I'm trying to figure out what it was he's certainly been a total journeyman actor since the 70s um, uh-huh. Equalizer Wizard of Loneliness Amen um, The Abyss I don't remember him in The Abyss I wonder if it's the same Abyss is it? Well, yes it is why wouldn't it be? I don't know there's always <laughs> weird TV movies that have Wise Guy he had a, an arc Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Air America. What is the thing that I knew him from? Uh, and oh, he's in the stand, the TV movie of that. Anyway, played a lot of villains, played a lot of dicks. Um, played a dick on uh, Scrubs, yeah. famously. Yeah. Great character. X Files. I really, I really like a Ken Jennings. Um, well, I can't place it. I'm also like a weirdly a Scrubs devotee. It seems like it would be up your alley. I really enjoyed uh, Scrubs quite a bit. You know, what's interesting is, I think, as a young man, I thought it was too broad. And now I wish I could do more broad comedy in a sitcom. So maybe if I went back to it, I would enjoy well, it. Well, they had the beauty of doing cutaways. Uh-huh. And the internal monologue of of the main character yeah which i just like what a what a what a fun sort of device to write in sure and they got to use the vo for comedy goldberg's are uh our superior is 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 more interested in just using the vo for for narrative drive which makes sense because it's so freaking fast you have to have a voiceover go this is what was going on but uh, I always want to write weird meta jokes and they're always shut down oh meta jokes in the VO, in the VO. yeah we can't do that no. come on there's no time for that best of Kelso on uh, on YouTube here let's see what someone thinks the best of Dr. Bob Kelso is okay hey Jen one has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap Bob Kelso how you doing Bob <laughs> I need to talk to you about my drug trial patient. How oh, we lost him, movie. Guys, I want you to know that the hospital they shot Scrubs at is now Bob. been torn down and is an apartment building. Wow. Anyway, Bob Kelso. Back to Star Trek. The interstellar counterpart to Earth's old faithful. 
The only predictable burst of energy in the universe that can accomplish our goal. Here he comes, right? Uh, this is Picard and his Stubbs, if you would like fucking to make uniform. Inspection of the Captain, unit. I have been inspecting the egg for the last 20 years. You may lay it when ready. Feels like a vain man should have called it something other than the egg. <laughs> the mice my lights work. Seconds. I will call it Some the egg. Two, stand by to launch the egg. Standing by, Commander. Stand by to launch the stubs. <laughs> right? That's what he should have called it. That's true. The stubs triumph. Uh, what do you think of his, uh, Ken Jennings' flailing around uh, the bridge floor? If it felt like he hadn't seen many episodes. <laughs> I get it. I'm thrown. I'm hurled to the side. I really want to make a meal of this. Uh, I mean, this uh, immediately in the cold open, they're thrown into chaos. engines initiating reverse sequence now. That I do have to say, as uh, Momentum is still carrying us into the path of the stellar matter. Twelve seconds to impact, sir. Prepare for impact. I'm still not clear on what exactly happens here. No, me neither. Where they're, like, preparing for impact. They start impacting it, and then... Medical personnel, report to the bridge. The, Commander, like, there's no resolve. All systems functioning normally, To that sir. problem. Computer, explain control malfunction. No control malfunction has been recorded. I love that Picard goes and hits Data's console to look at it himself. Yeah. Let me just make sure. I actually wondered if that was... Let me just make sure Data's not malfunctioning here. <laughs> like, I don't trust anybody right now. You didn't read that unauthorized biography. Is this all this boy does? Doctor, fly the ship and read? Doesn't he ever have any fun? Sure he does. Actually, most of my free time is taken up with my studies. I'm trying to get into Starfleet Academy, and I earn credits for the time spent on the Enterprise, but it's just not the same. You ready to sit up? Well, I am whole again. <sighs> oh, I do want to play the scene in Picard's office. Okay. His ready room. Sorry, everybody. Diagnostic Boy, series. There. Come. Boy, is there Riker's egg on your I, uh, face? <laughs> I want a computer nice. that's what about Stubbs' egg? Stubbs Stubbs egg. Experiment, as well as the food slots in sickbay. Picard out. Which seem to be working again for the moment, anyway. I feel like this coat, this what doctor's coat, do you, doctor? Beverly never wears again. Oh, yeah? This stiff, thick-seamed coat. Jean-Luc. Could be wrong. John Cooley. John Cooley. Cooley. You were a 17-year-old and the only Starfleet officer whose mother was on board. Inhibited. Seems like a weird time for her to open this topic with the ship in danger. But then I'm not Wesley. And if you are concerned about him, I see no evidence that there is a problem. I know, but in a funny way, that's exactly my point. We talk, we smile. It's almost too polite. Beverly, isn't it just a matter of time I know how difficult it was for you being away 
Tell me about him. Well, he's becoming a very fine officer. He works as hard as any member of the crew. Riker says his studies are online. No. Tell me about him. He's his father's son. Honest. Trusting. Strong. Does he have many friends? Has he ever been in love? Yes, once. There was a creature. Um... She was a bear. Luke, the Dauphine. I'm worried. He's kind of a wolf so bear. Far, so fast, and since I've been back, she's I now a therapist on Wilshire. His dependents, <laughs> Beverly. Look, he's he's seventeen. He did kiss her. We all thought it was real funny. What were you doing when you were seventeen? Probably getting into more trouble than Wesley. I can assure you. So was I. Isn't well, that never tried to destroy the ship. supposed to be? He didn't try. He just fell asleep with his work. Is Andy, don't you what understand? Happened, Matt? Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, do you uh, have a particular time code you'd like me to jump over to? My next thing isn't until eighteen with Guinan. Oh um, my god, that's but, a lot. Uh, yeah, so we can, you can just jump to whatever you think is the Great. natural progression. But I will say, I've, I'm reading a lot of things in Memory Alpha, and uh, it feels like even. Um, even Mr. Pillar, is that how you say his name? Michael Pillar, yeah. Uh, even he wasn't that high on the on the episode. He was sort of thought it was like, eh. It's certainly not. It certainly doesn't feel like a season opener, right? Do you know what I mean? That is. It I, feels like a third or fourth episode. I think that is the thing that's. And I guess if you if you if you mark it against the previous season. This is just an episode, this is going to be the summation, but this is an episode that's sort of, oh, okay, it goes from A to B to C, mm-hmm. and the characters make relative sense. Yeah. And they don't do anything too outrageous. <laughs> nice. Relative sense. Mother, son. Oh, yeah. All right, anyway, that was Star Trek TNC, so uh, <laughs> next week, what are we doing? Um, uh, anyhow. So yeah, so but I guess I'm saying if you grade it against the previous season, then it's doing pretty good. But if you grade it against got the new uniforms, this is when it kicks into gear and all that. It feels a little tepid to me. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting when we watch next week's episode, uh, the Ensigns of Command. What uh, what we feel because that was the first one in production. Authors Mark Jones and Lance Parkin wrote of this episode a story that isn't sure whether it's about scientific responsibility or mother and son relationships. So it ends up being about nothing very much. Pillar commented, They're "I felt it was right. a, felt it was a B episode. I thought it worked out okay, but didn't have an ending for it, and neither did Mike Wagner. There's some character seats I'm proud of. Didn't dislike it. I was proud of the episode, but I thought it didn't quite come off. Which I thought is kind of awesome that he would give his own episode that that honest review. Oh, I think we would do that for well, our we own. would, but yeah. we're filled with self hate. <laughs> By the way, no I want to know why these nanobites." Nanites. Mr. Wolf's Nanobots. <laughs> they're later called, what's inside seven or nine? Nanobots? Sure. I think they're nanobots. Well, you're absolutely I wonder sure. why they're not but nanites. But like, why would Sensors they create a Borg? The approach of a Borg vessel. Shields up. Why would they do that? Well, they create a what? Scoot in, Andy. Dory can't get by. Manual override is jammed. It's not going to work this time. Oh, yeah, that we is weird. The shields, Captain. Captain, they're firing energy weapons at us. Face of action. Bring around at 275. Mark 3. 
Predict current vector of Borg vessel. If that's vector. a strategy, it shows much more intelligence than later in the episode so when the Borg ship. Data's looking around and me this is another computer the creatures. It is con- well, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like, why would they do that? Are they just doing it because they want to see if they can do it? They don't want to harm the humans at this point, right? Right. Or do they? No, I think they do, don't they? Is that what they want to do? I don't know. It's it's very vague. They seem to be very aware and in control of the ship at certain points. Like the second that uh, Picard sends Stubbs to his quarters, all the problems stop. Um, you know, it's like little things like that that they seem to know the whole time, which they say at the end that they know Stubbs is the problem. And then other times it seems to be random. So let's talk about Troy's scene. Okay. Which is incredibly indicative of the problem with her character. Why technological failure on a starship in 79 years. Excuse me, Captain, but Dr. Stubbs is waiting outside. Captain... I'm sure you have everything under control. I'd just like to know what's going on. Of course, Doctor, sit down. Mm, I'm snide. Counselor. Commander LaForge is attempting repairs even as we speak. Attempting? That doesn't sound particularly reassuring. Doctor, if at all possible, we will continue this mission as planned. Captain, if we miss our chance now, we don't get another for two centuries. There will be many questions asked by Starfleet if the Enterprise fails in its duty. Hmm. Nevertheless, my first and foremost consideration will be to ensure the safety of this ship and its crew. Ensure the safety, Captain? Or are you really talking about playing it safe? My dear Doctor, in our current position, when that star explodes, you will get to watch your experiment from the inside out. I would rather die than leave. Real zinging back and forth here. Majority of the crew. Yeah. Dr. Stubbs, I know how much this means to you. My dear counselor, no insult intended, but please turn off your beam into my soul. I will share the feelings I wish to share. Well, if we do not leave in time, so be it. It's one sure way into the record books, eh? His nonchalance is studied and practiced. Mm-hmm. Even my sensory perception picked that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt? Yes. It occurred to me, and I could be wrong, uh-huh. um, and I hadn't thought of one in a while, that I have no theory on Troy. Uh, interesting. And uh, watching the scene did lead me to a theory. For all the bathrooms at Let an android have a cat Is Data just pretending to be so dim? No one knows the answers Least of all him It's Andy's theories 
I don't think Troy is an empath. <laughs> 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 I don't think she has any powers at all. I think Luxana has powers, and sure. I think Luxana is an incredibly powerful diplomat, and she got her daughter a job on the flagship of the fleet. So you're saying that she took, takes more after her father than her mother. A hundred percent. So she's more human than Beta said. And I'm pretty sure if we look at almost every scene she's in in the series, definitely up to this point, there is no evidence that she actually is sensing anything that any other person could not sense with intuition. In many ways, it's like having a psychic around. Right. Where you're like, you're not a psychic. No, you're, you're just... <laughs> someone who kind of asks the right questions and says things that are just vague enough that anybody else here's a follow-up uh, side theory to that do you think she just checked off that she was empathic on her starfleet application to get ahead in the therapy program well i guess at least in my in my perspective uh, i feel like uh, troy is a legitimately good person mm-hmm. i think she's not a liar i don't think she's a con artist i think she thinks she's an empath because that's what looks on a stranger to think <laughs> and i think everyone on the ship knows that she's not but she's so nice that they all play along that they're like yes oh yes is that what the, is that what the aliens are thinking oh that's yeah, oh, the sinister guy is lying. Oh, oh yeah. he's hiding something. So is he? in depth? Thank oh, you, wow. Deanna. You are a great therapist. Oh, Stubbs seems very overly invested in this <laughs> in this science experiment, eh? Oh, to a dangerous degree. Rehearsed, you say? <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> Commander Riker. Write this down. It's so insightful. <laughs> All right. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. Here we are. There you go. We're in the uh, we're in ten forward. This is the scene Andy wanted. I don't have a lot of opinions, but I thought. Uh, Kinda. I didn't think anyone would be here. I've never been any good at being confined to quarters, as my husbands will attest to. I love that they were going for it here. I'm just going for a while. Information about Guinan. I run a clean place. Oh. I know it's not that. I'm scared, Guinan. I think that everything that's been going wrong might be my fault. You want to tell me about it? I've been working on my final project for advanced genetics. It's on nanotechnology. I've been studying the nanites we have in the sickbay genetic supplies. These little tiny robots with gigabytes of mechanical computer memory. They're designed to enter living cells and conduct repairs. <sighs> Supposed to remain confined to the lab. Are you saying there are nanites loose? Two of them, that's all. I just wanted to see how they would interact and function in tandem. See, in my experiment, I had proposed a theory that by working together, they could combine their skills and increase their usefulness. Why haven't we gotten Whoopi Goldberg on the Goldbergs? Oh, good question. As the mysterious Aunt Rose. Rose Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, what, was your, what was your thing here? Um, well, there's, there's more as it goes on, but, uh, but the first thing is... Um, uh, do we do we get to the... No, it's further on. Keep playing. It was working. So you made better nanites. I was pulling an all-nighter to collect my final data. I fell asleep. 
when I woke up, I saw the container had been left open. It's just a science project. You know, a doctor friend once said the same thing to me. Frankenstein was his name. They're really harmless. So that's mainly... When they're equipped with only the most basic of skills, it's almost impossible they could be responsible. This is the thing. One thing, doctor friend once said the same thing to me. That's a flawed joke. Just say, a doctor once said the same thing to me. It's not a friend of hers, unless we're saying that she can walk with her powers into a fictional story. That irritated me. But more than that... Um, she is Mary Shelley. <laughs> that would be amazing. What if that's the case? I mean, Guinan is old enough to have been alive when is Mary she? Shelley was alive. Well, that is the thing I do like about this scene, which is I like that she says her husband's. I like that later in the episode, she's talking about her children, mm-hmm. and she has quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and uh, I like and the thing about not being confined to quarters. They're at red alert. Right. So the crewmen who are in non-essential areas, like no, no, I meant the like thing Mott about the barber would probably not be in his her husbands. Room. I was like, oh, that's an interesting implication about her and her husbands. Is uh, I don't know, just like she has several husbands, she had probably many, many children. I like that they're implying stuff about her bit by bit. Do I don't they, know how much they. I want to ask you if they continue to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get more trickles of information. It's very. She's very, you know, mysterious. She's an Elorian. It's a race we don't know a ton about. Uh, the bad guy in Star Trek Generations is also an Elorian. Mm-hmm. Doctor Soren. Is he? Yeah. Are there powers ever shown? Malcolm McDowell. Uh, I mean, no. Like, there's no hint of like why Q would. Uh, be scared. Be afraid of her. Although we do get more cute guy interactions in the future, Andy. Buckle oh, up. Season forward. three has a lot of treats. Well, I just had way. an offhanded theory. There's not much grounding for it, but it was just a thought uh, that uh, she implies kind of ominously that she has a lot of children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Guinan is secretly a spider. Andy's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. That was a terrible theory. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the slowness of the cue that helped make it seem incompetent? (laughs) Guess what, Andy? What? We have a third companion in our trip. Oh, do we? Aaron Kazander. What? Hopping in. Crazy. Amazing. We're going to drive for four hours together. Uh-huh. It's not like we haven't spent 75 hours together. <laughs> uh, interesting. Anyway, the uh, beauty of this episode... Alexander's another gentleman at the Goldbergs, FYI. <laughs> a, a gentle a gentle Goldbergian. <laughs> you could argue he's the most gentle Goldbergian. <laughs> <laughs> beauty of Aaron is he doesn't take up much space. Uh, oh, here's another thing. Uh... Wesley's at a whole other level. I've had a prior theory. Is he a sociopath? Um, I believe he's a full-on psychopath in this episode. <laughs> you see, he's intentionally screwing up the entire ship. He's hiding his true intentions under the guise of a dumb boy. Um, and I also thought it was interesting, as Beverly's played very heavily into previous theories, um, how they're connected and whether she's in on the fact that he's a psychopath or not. I don't think he's done that much damage in the prior season that where she was gone. He waited for her to come back. 
before he really uncorked oh, it. Oh, you're saying he, he he settled down his uh, superpowers of uh, evil genius, mischievousness, yeah. and uh, trying to kill everyone. Yeah. Uh, while his mother was gone, maybe. So let me ask you this: It's boyhood Do you anger. Think it's yeah. Maybe she plays into this. That's maybe, what I'm saying. Maybe. Yeah. She's pulling the strings. I don't I don't buy that, but I believe that she's part of his plan in some way. And also he immediately uses her to defend him, even though he's coming clean anyway. She's the one who's telling everybody in that scene in the conference room what the deal is with the nanites, even though they were his nanites. Nanites. Nanites, nanites. That was a Mark from Mark reference. We have to talk. I'm losing my mind. I know. It's okay, really. No, it's not okay. This is a weird episode to start a season with. But more and more, I'm thinking about it. No. They have evolved. Evolved? How does a machine evolve? It's true. I am responsible for this. I allowed two of the nanites to interact for a school project. I wanted to increase their capabilities. And they escaped. School project? Yes, it was to create sentient life. My project was to see how quickly I could destroy everyone. I mean, uh, to see how nanites might evolve. Wink, wink. Why are you saying wink, wink? Uh, No reason. You're a terrible evil genius. <laughs> oh, yeah, we see some nanites. That's Lutra happening. Vi- the Lutra virus. Did I miss the John Philip Sousa? Call up the cross section of Computer Core Processor 451. I want to see. Computer. Jordy doesn't have a lot to do on this one. Even though it's mostly Weirdly, about the. It's about the ship and the engines and the computer. Nanites are spreading through the whole ship. Oh, the gas is hissing. Now, what is the gas? Mr. Wolf, report. It's he like a computer uh, access room and sterilized one nitrogen. of the pro- Isn't it like a poisonous atmosphere to humans? Uh-huh. Life support going bonkers. I see. You smell a change. <coughs> what? <coughs> This is so 1989 music. 1989 action music. Ice, nitrous oxide, toxic levels. Working on it, Captain. Very 1989 sci-fi sort of beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I switched to manual control of the air handling system. Mr. Wolf, report. He entered a computer access room and sterilized one of the processors with gamma radiation. The nanites in the upper core are all dead, Captain. Do you think it's interesting that he used gamma radiation on them? And we don't like them when they're angry? (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, uh, I guess maybe. <laughs> well, when is this episode over? <laughs> I mean, we can jump into. I really wanted the Philip Sousa situation. No, find it. Whatever. My next thing is the data we offering to be a conduit no for the nanites. To any other living creature. So the nanites uh, talk to Stubbs Wait. through data. Go, go back to you 38. You told me to skip through this, and now you're angry about I'm me missing angry. something that happened three minutes before this. It's a, a more uh, relevant scene. Oh, now Andy has something to say, so we're going to play it. All right, just... Take it down and I'm ready, sir. Classic Hello, Andy. The human who destroyed their comrades is here. Wishes to address them. Captain, if you, I'm... sir, you explain your error and apologize. And pray to the little things peace in the computer. Live with. Is that clear? Great, Andy. You got your little things into the computer joke in. Now I'm we not can at the, the same. point I'm kidding. That, I that wanna... would never be what you wanted to play. <laughs> like if you had written an aside and you wanted to play the scene for that. That would be sad if that was my aside. <laughs> I gotta get him to play this part. I got it's the I, perfect joke. I got such a I've zinger. got the perfect joke. Matt, we gotta do the podcast now. Captain, if a face-to-face negotiation would be helpful, I would like to volunteer myself as a conduit. Yourself, Data. I can easily furnish the nanites with the schematic design of my neurological structure. Entering my neural network would require no more than their most basic skills. That's what they were designed for. They could penetrate the molecular fabric of my hand covering into my nerve circuitry and interface with my verbal program. This is... If they have control of a Starfleet commander, they become an even greater threat. How can we be sure that we can get them out of here? would be a considerable risk, sir, but it would also represent a gesture of trust on our part. Could be an important step toward peace, sir. So, all of this, there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, this is the the, the, the most ill-thought plan to me ever. And the, the, the speed with which everybody gets on board on letting this alien uh, force uh, invade the most powerful creature on the planet, on the, sorry, on the ship... I mean, he's an invulnerable, super-strength android. And they're going to let this thing that they don't even know if it's still angry or not take him over? It's insane. That's why Worf is saying Worf things. But that's the other thing is, Worf objects not to the fact that he's a super-strength, invulnerable android with super speed. It's they'll have control of a Starfleet officer. Like, they'll have access to the codes or something. All of them. But that's not the issue. The issue is, well, whatever. I guess that's also the issue. I think the issue is not that they'll have control over a super strong android, but literally the fact that they'll have control over Data, who knows how to do everything on the ship. Well, that is... And can immediately... Oh, so you're saying that's the justification of the Starfleet officer thing. I guess. It feels like it's... It's it's uh, he was almost offended at they. He'll be taking... allowed in the officers' mess. <laughs> <laughs> we can't let the nanites in there. <laughs> That's where I have my special time. <laughs> um, and then at the end, uh, the justification that that the writers clearly cram in for like why this is okay is it'll be a show of a gesture of we trust to the little possible. robots <laughs> is insanity. Um, this continued survival. Well, really, they just want to have Brent Spiner. Thank you. Do a. You know, but a classically eccentric. He sounds exactly like B four. For your assistance, this ship. What's B four? Is too confining. Never mind. You'll see. Is that a later we thing? require <laughs> in the last <laughs> in the last movie of Captain the next Hogg generation. Oh. Doctor Stubbs has used his influence to have Planet Cavis Alpha Four 
designated the new home of the nanite civilization. Commander Data's neural network has been vacated. He has been returned to us unharmed. And with the help of the nanites, How do they our know? computer core has been reconstructed in time for the experiment. It's definitely a quick, weird wrap-up. So I agree with Teller there. Blast, sir. We are at 40 million kilometers from the neutron star, sir. Hold your position. weird that Stubbs isn't even watching the thing that happens. He's looking at his data. Doctor? What a jerk. Does it not, no words. Nothing. No. What a resolution. Very strange. <laughs> and then we have this little uh, aside with Guinan. Ah. It is so good to see him having fun for a change. Just a side note, I think that was bad directing. They have him from a distance as he walks in. You don't even see that he's with the girl, really. He's all the way in the background. Should have been covered. You know what I thought was weird was that we were on that single of Ken Jennings when he's talking about baseball and calling his shot. They don't even go to a wide for him to point at the stars. Oh, it's true. It's crazy. Oh, here's a side thing about Wesley and the girl in this scene. Uh, I just noticed... Um, you'll be delighted at this that there was a cut scene I was like that's interesting they have this whole thing with Wesley and a girl seems like that's a pretty big plot to skip over cut scene in the corridor they had a lot of different scenes and I thought we could have a little TNC theater and read the scene in the corridor oh no the 12 hour clip of audio of the ship running has ended (laughs) that's appropriate uh, I don't know if I want to do TNC theater. Come on, pal. Sure you do. It's just weird with Dory here. Oh, Dory, do you want to play Annette? Nope. Okie doke. <laughs> That's a big negatory from Mrs. Myra. No, uh, she doesn't Dory take your name, Shafrir. of course. Why would you take no. my name? It's a terrible name. Dory Myra. Nope. Does not roll off the tongue. Uh, Myra is easier to say than Shafrir. Not if you're an Ashkenazi Jew. That's true. Wait, aren't I an Ashkenazi Jew? I don't know. What are you, Secunda? Probably one of the dumb ones. I'm not one of the smart ones. Uh, Anyway, uh, interior corridor, you be Wesley. This is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. Such a thing we don't need. What oh happened? my God, Siri! No something? one's talking to you. Did I say? Did I say her name? <laughs> interior corridor. Wesley moving sees a trio. Oh, that's probably what it was. Of other teenagers, two attractive girls and one boy. I guess the boy could either have been attractive or not attractive. Yeah. Dressed in ski clothes. Uh, Eric, friendly. Hey, Wesley, you need some work on your right uh, on your right turns? Uh, Wesley pauses, responding a little too... Oh, does he bump into him? I don't get that. Uh, Wesley pauses, responding a little too seriously for a teenager. They're running a check to find out what's happened. Everything's okay now. One of the girls, Annette, is clearly interested in Wes. We're going into the holodeck to ski in Switzerland. Wes, want to come? <laughs> you don't want me your, to do the Your voice. reading is like you're in your... Whatever. Let's continue the theater. It's what? <laughs> the way you said, Wes, want to come? Like you didn't... You said oh, that you ate Okay, your, well, give me, give me some direction. What should I... Here's what, what it would have been. Yeah, okay. 
Just give me a line rating, the worst directing of all time. We're going to the holodeck to ski in Switzerland, Wes. Oh Want to come? Because you like read the comma <laughs> right. as a period. You're right. I'm reading at a side angle, and it's hard for me to read. I don't have a script. I can't write my <laughs> notes. It's very uh, awkward. Oh, I, I can't. I have to check on Dr. Stubbs. He's in sick bay. <laughs> Annette looks disappointed. Eric takes him aside uh, out of earshot, puts his arm around his shoulder. Wesley, I have this awkward situation. Two gorgeous ladies. Oh, I can see why I got this scene. <laughs> only one of them, uh, only one of me, and a terrific program where we get snowed in at the ski lodge. This is a kid on the Enterprise? Just the fire in each other to keep us warm. Looks for a reaction. I can hold the storm for you. Meet us at the lodge later on. I can, Eric. There's just too much to do. Yeah. Okay. Next time. Annette glances at him as they split up. That is a very saucy scene to have <laughs> to have Wesley involved in. I feel uh, like they're. I feel like they went right from playing him as a as a teenager that was afraid to kiss to a teenager that was going on a big sex romp with his friends. I, you know, I think the scene was cut for many good reasons, uh, and most of which I think was the fact that we get the information out about Wesley being too busy for friends uh, in two other scenes. That uh, is true. So we don't need it. Later, Annette is hurt. I won't read the whole scene, but I thought this triplet at the very end was interesting where she says um, to Beverly, um, Wes almost came along. It's probably a good thing he didn't uh, to, on the ski trip before she got injured. I didn't know, Beverly says, I didn't know he was going skiing with you. Eric says, it's one of those last minute things. We tried to grab him on the way. And then Annette says, we don't see uh, much of him now that he's been assigned to the bridge. Which I thought was an interesting character thing. Is that he had friends? I feel like he's usually presented as someone who doesn't really have that many uh, social... He's been on the bridge since season one. I know. So they haven't seen much of him in two and a half years. So, yeah, when were they friends with him? Well... You know, the kid with the weird run who he went and threw snowballs with. We may never know. And that's the beauty of Star Trek. What? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Andy. Yeah. It's time to wrap this up. Okay. You know how we do that? Yeah, I sure do, buddy. I sure do. Um, all right, buddy. What are we thinking? I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I guess it's data. Yeah. Because they communicate through data. And he's the one who came. Well. He's the one who decided that he could communicate with them. On the other hand, no. You know what? I, uh, this is going to be tough. I think it's Picard because Picard's the one who advances to data the idea of communicating with them at all. Data figures it out. But Picard's the one who said, maybe we should communicate with them. Is there someone who points out that they're sentient in the first place or theorizes Crusher. it? Is that Crusher? She there's a when they when he finally communicates with them there's a shot of her smiling like a like a little child, like a doctor who's just discovered new life. Mhm. Sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do you think? I feel like I guess it has to be data. I'm going to give my my half to uh, Picard. Who's the other half to? Data. We don't You're, each get a half. 
Well, you can award one full award, so you can go half and half, no, Picard no, and Data. We, no, I think we what we landed no. in the end. We've no. talked about this so many times. No, <laughs> I thought in the end we decided that we can each give a give like half a point or a one point or whatever. We each give a, a vote. I don't remember. That's my understanding. Well. Brad, if you want to, Brad, if you want to come at us, maybe we got another mini soda out of the deal. I know uh, that Brad just wants us to just say, just choose one. I don't care. I can't. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> well, I choose Data, and I choose Picard. So order that however you'd like. <laughs> um, all right. The Andes, or some other method of ranking. We're working on it. All right, it's uh, time to give this zero to ten Andes, ten being the best, zero being shades of gray. And, uh, well, I mean, I have a pretty clear answer in my head of what this is. And, uh, Andy, I'm curious, what do you think? Huh. How many Andes are you giving this? I mean, it's interesting because I think it's almost, I'm unfairly judging it against the new uniforms. (laughs) It's like I was kind of geared up to have this one kick ass. And I kind of feel like it was pretty tepid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like they wrap it up at the end by the author's own admission. It does have some nice Guinan stuff in it. Um, I'm going to give it a four and a half. Uh, very close to what I was going to give it. I give it a four. Yeah. It's a little below a middling episode. Yeah. A little bit. I, in my heart of hearts, I probably would give it lower, but I'm not going to change it. Uh, well, it's time to talk about the uh, next episode, which is, of course, the... Uh Ensigns of Command. I'm going to click here on the trailer and let's uh, give it a whirl, everybody. Let's give it a listen. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, a hostile alien race threatens to annihilate an entire planet. The lives of 15,000 people are riding on you. We are not leaving. Data's mission, force an evacuation. You will die, and their weapons are far more powerful. But his own life is in jeopardy. On Star Trek, The Next Generation. Well, from that trailer, it doesn't look too exciting, but uh, I do remember it as being a pretty decent episode. So, we'll see you next week. I'm excited. I don't have anything else to add except a transporter sound effect that I keep closing every time I want to go to it, Andy. This is classic Myra. Oh, I am just... This is what you tune in for, everybody. It's really our terribleness that uh, makes everyone uh, gravitate towards us over, say, your other Star Trek podcasts. <laughs> Look at it, vamp. Uh, Best in the biz. Some of them uh, are cool. Some of them not so cool. Disengage. We're the coolest.